I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. What do you know about Martin Luther King? I know as Martin Luther King as a man that he was a great man. He believed in the equal rights of people. He also believed in just making a change in the difference of the world as well as his own community. Martin Luther King was a good man. He had a dream. Basically, he had a dream that everyone would be equal. He represented a big movement in the United States. He was a leader. That's the most important thing I know. Martin Luther King was a civil rights leader. He was a revolutionary. Um, instead of using um, violence, he used his words. He did a lot for African Americans. He had a lot of willpower and determined. He set an example for everybody that we should all be together, that we're all different, but we can all coexist at the same time. He's a social hero. I know that he was a good man and he did everything in his power that he could to make his dream of everybody being equal uh, as he could. And he's one of the most recognized people on earth today. Welcome to the special wild card edition of Intern Whisperer Live. In February being Black History Month, we take an inside look at the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Our first patron, Starter Studio, is a nonprofit organization is a pioneering hub for innovation and tech-enabled entrepreneurs that empowers and provides resources for entrepreneurs, creatives, and innovators to begin, grow, and flourish in Florida. Starter Studio fosters a community serving a platform for ideas of the future. So, celebrating Black History Month, let's remember Martin Luther King Jr. His birthday has become a national holiday. Most Americans know the words of his most famous speech, I have a dream. However, as we reflect on the man who sought to unify our country, we found there was an untold story about him that many do not know. Some of those facts are perhaps avoided because they're uncomfortable. Others are merely lost in the great expanse of information available about him as a man and now as an icon. King was born Michael Luther King in Atlanta on January 15, 1929, one of the three children of Martin Luther King Sr., pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church and Alberta Williams King, 
a former school teacher. He was renamed Martin when he was about six years old. How much of Martin Luther King's speech do you know? I have a dream and then that's about it. <laughs> Only the I have a dream part. I had a dream. <laughs> that's about it. None of it. <laughs> None of it. I have a dream. Over the years, I kind of forgot, so it's pretty much just remembering the first part of it. If I, if I see it, I'll remember if I, out of my mind, can't remember all stuff. I don't know any part of his speech. I don't know word for word, not that much. For me, I actually know bits and pieces. I used to know the whole entire speech, but I haven't actually gone back to really read it as much as I used to. I, I, I kind of feel bad not remembering most of it, but I don't know if a lot of us do. You know, you can argue that we wouldn't know Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, maybe at all without his parents' influence. Um, you, you mentioned he was born Michael Luther King. In fact, his dad was Michael, too. They both changed their name to Martin after uh, Martin Luther, who was the uh, Protestant reformer way back in the 1500s of the uh, Christian church. And so, and then uh, he was part of three generations, Martin Luther King Jr., three generations of pastors at Ebenezer Baptist um, uh, throughout uh, his life and his childhood. And in his childhood, his parents' influence through him is really what you hear reflected in his speeches, in his work. Martin Luther King Sr. was active in early civil rights movement uh, surrounding, area, in, surrounding the area of Atlanta, Georgia. In addition to being a pastor, uh, King Sr. was the president of the local NAACP chapter, and in that role, he led a successful effort to equalize the salaries of white and black teachers in Atlanta. Uh, both Dr. King's mother and father were very involved in Martin's young life, and they didn't hide the truth about the realities of segregation and prejudice that Martin Luther King would face. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. gave an interview in 1961 on the television show Face to Face, and he talked about a couple of the events of his childhood that led up to the famous Montgomery boycott. He talked about his first brush with segregation and prejudice when his two best friends in the neighborhood, they were both white, they would play together every day. And all of a sudden, one day, they just stopped. Uh, his two friends would, wouldn't come to the door anymore. They would give him excuses when Martin came over to play. And when King Jr. asked his mother why his best friends wouldn't play with him, his mother explained about racial segregation, about prejudice, about racism. And that was why he couldn't play with his best friends anymore. Dr. King remembers that his mother told him to never think he was less than anyone else and to always remember that he is just as valuable as every other person. You would hear that in his speeches later on. But this was the first time he experienced racial prejudice. When Martin Luther King Jr. was a little older, he was out with his father. They were out for a drive. They were coming home. A police officer pulls him over. The police officer addressed King Jr.'s father as boy. And as the story goes, Martin Luther King Sr. looked down uh, to his son, Jr., and, and he said, you see my son here, he is a boy, I am a man. And Martin Luther King's dad refused to cooperate with the officer until he would be addressed as a grown man. And so on one hand, you've got young Martin Luther King growing up with all this racial prejudice, and then on the other hand, you've got the influence of his parents who lived out their values. And I think one thing that gets lost today, we... It's it's really weird to or, or staggering to think that all this happened within a lifetime. You know, uh, uh, some of our parents and grandparents were, who are alive were alive at this time. Uh, this is really such recent history for America, and but our country is so different, and and I think a lot of ways for the better, because in part of uh, due to Martin Luther King Jr. But we forget. 
Martin Luther King, when he grew up, he wasn't able to go to the local swimming pool. He wasn't allowed to go to public parks. There was only one high school in all of Atlanta for, for black children, and that high school had to serve over 200,000 black families. He wasn't allowed to sit at the counter in the drugstores or the corner markets. He would witness police brutality. He would uh, witness acts of terrorism by the Ku Klux Klan and, and hate crimes. And, you know, we think that after the Civil War ended and the slaves were freed, that, that everything was hunky-dory. But still, we, the, you still had the hatred. While the laws made things legal, it didn't change people's hearts, unfortunately. Many states in the South ended up adopting Jim Crow laws, and, and some of those laws are, are like this. Um, for instance, when Martin Luther King Jr. was growing up, a black male was not to extend his hand to shake a white male's hand because it implied that the two were socially equal. Um, a black male couldn't offer any part of his body to a white female. He could be charged with rape. Blacks and whites were not allowed to eat together. If they did, they had to have a partition between them. And white drivers had the right of way at all times. And the list goes on and on. And I think the thing that's most significant to me about Martin Luther King's upbringing and his parents' influence is that they didn't teach him to hate. They didn't teach him to hate the white man or any man, any person. Even though they were discriminated against and hated because of their skin color, they didn't hate their persecutors. They, 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 wanted, they considered their persecutors to be just as equal and valuable as they were. And that didn't mean that they condoned prejudice at all. But they believed every person has a value uh, because they have a God-given value and they should be treated as such. And that's staggering with, with our culture. Today we forget this part of Martin Luther King's message, that, that hatred done to one person does not justify hatred as a response. Nor does it take away the value of, of anyone as a human being. And that's really Martin Luther King Jr.'s message. That's what his mother told him when his best friends deserted him out of prejudice. That's what his father told him and demonstrated to him in both his work and his words. And remember, Martin Luther King Sr., when he was active with the NAACP, that's uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s father, he wanted equal pay for black and white teachers. He didn't want uh, white teachers to be made more or black teachers to make more. He wanted equality. Ultimately, what we see in Martin Luther King Jr., that he was an amplifier on a national level for the message and principle passed down to him and modeled for him from his parents. And where his father led the civil rights struggle in their community in Atlanta, Martin Luther King Jr. led the same fight for all of America. Well, you know the quote, behind every great man is a great woman, and that was the case for Coretta Scott King. Coretta Scott King was a great woman behind Martin Luther King Jr., born April 27, 1927, in Marion, Alabama. Mrs. King was educated and known for her singing and violin playing in her younger years, where she graduated from high school, Lincoln High School. As a valedictorian in 1945, she went to college in Yellow Springs, Ohio, obtaining a bachelor's of Arts in Music and Education in 1951. Mrs. King was awarded a fellowship to the New England Conservatory Music in Boston, where she then met her soon-to-be husband, Martin Luther King, where he was a doctoral candidate at Boston University School of Theology. Their relationship blossomed, and they married June 18, 1953. Mrs. King's activism started way before she met Mr. King. In her younger years, she participated in civil rights campaign in Alabama, and she was an early protester against Vietnam War, 
before it was even a popular thing to do. In 1950s and 60s, Mrs. King worked side by side with her husband. She took part in the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955. She'd journeyed to Guyana to mark the nation's independence in 1957. And she traveled to India on a pilgrimage in 1959 and worked to pass the 1964 Civil Rights Act. She even spoke about bigotry and prejudice against the LGBTQ community in 1986, stating that I believe all Americans who believe in freedom, tolerance, and human rights have a responsibility to oppose hate on sexual orientation. When Martin Luther King Jr. was killed April 4, 1969, four days later, Mrs. King still led her husband's planned march through Memphis to support striking sanitation workers. She stayed phenomenally strong after her husband's death, still being an activist and lobbying a campaign to make every third Monday of January Martin Luther King Day, a federal holiday now, which began in 1983. She founded and ran Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change and made the area of his surrounding home, birthplace, a national historic site in 1981. The life and activism did not stop this great woman when her great husband passed, and we have to remember activism cannot stop no matter how big or small you are in the public eye because injustice anywhere is a threat to injustice everywhere. thank our patrons tonight. We'd like to thank Omnimodal, helping smart cities connect all commuters across all modes of transportation move into the future. Omnimodal, their website, omnimodal.io. Thank you, Omnimodal, for being a patron of the Intern Whisperer Live. Dr. King's legacy is a collection of powerful and inspiring teachings. He is the only non-president to have a national holiday dedicated in his honor and memorialized on the Great Mall in our nation's capital. The most famous speech that probably comes to mind to most people is Dr. King's speech, I Have a Dream. Dr. King Jr. delivered his What Is Your Life Blueprint speech to students at Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia. These words ring true and should inspire all of us that feel lost, need a daily reminder, or want to lead others, why we matter. I really want to encourage everyone to listen to the full speech. And to go to hear it, you would go to the link that we provide in our show notes. In this speech, Dr. King lays out three important steps to follow in order for the students to reach their full potential, no matter their status in life. And he calls on them to actively commit to the struggle for freedom and justice. King's words are inspirational for students of any age and of any era. They are timeless. This is the most important and crucial period of your lives. For what you do now and what you decide now at this age may well determine which way your life shall go. The question is whether you have a proper, a solid, and a sound blueprint.
rest some of the things that should be in your life's blueprint. Number one in your life's blueprint should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your own worth, and your own somebodiness. Don't allow anybody to make you feel that you are nobody. Always feel that you count. Always feel that you have worth. And always feel that your life has ultimate significance. Do you believe that MLK's dream became a reality for all races? Somewhat, yeah. It's better than before, so yes. As much as I would like to say that it has become a reality, it has not. There's still quite a bit of work to do, but it is a work in progress to make all races equal. I think it helped it, um, help really wake people up. Mm, not really. I think we're a little far behind it. One of these days, hopefully it happens because everybody should be accepted. It doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, what race you are. It doesn't matter. We, we should all be together. Mostly, yeah, I think, yeah, we have equality now. Mm, I see a lot, maybe not all, but a good amount. It certainly did to some extent. It's not necessarily completed, but he had a dream to change the world and to change the way that African Americans were treated in the United States, and it did happen. Well, hopefully one day it will become true. Well, it's starting to progress and it started to, to um, come through, and um, yeah, I see that a lot. I do. I do believe that his dream became reality, but I also still believe that there's still some more work that he still, if he were still alive, that he still would have been able to do. To do. He didn't get to live to see it, but it definitely came to be, and I guess we're still working on it. You know, not everyone's accepted, but we're getting close to that, so that's what's very important. Don't allow anybody to pull you so low as to make you hate them. Don't allow anybody to cause you to lose your self-respect to the point that you do not struggle for justice. However young you are, you have a responsibility to seek to make your nation a better nation in which to live. You have a responsibility to seek to make life better for everybody. And so you must be involved in the struggle for freedom and justice. This is the most important and crucial period of your lives for what you do now and what you decide now at this age may well determine which way your life shall go. And the question is whether you have a proper, a solid, and a sound blueprint. And I want to suggest some of the things that should be in your life's blueprint. Number one in your life's blueprint should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your own worth, and your own somebodiness. 
Don't allow anybody to make you feel that you are nobody. Always feel that you count. Always feel that you have worth. And always feel that your life has ultimate significance. Secondly, in your life's blueprint, you must have as a basic principle the determination to achieve excellence in your various fields of endeavor. You're going to be deciding as the days and the years unfold what you will do in life, what your life's work will be. Once you discover what it will be, set out to do it and to do it well. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. For it isn't by size that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are. And finally, in your life's blueprint, must be a commitment to the eternal principles of beauty, love, and justice. Well, life for none of us has been a crystal star, but we must keep moving. We must keep going. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but by all means, keep moving.